really think that Alex, like, who you are in life is how you treat people that can't help you. And if you have the right process to understand how people are treating others that can't help them, that, that's really who they are. And that's a big, big part of life is finding out someone's true character. Hello and welcome back or welcome to Up Close In Personnel with Alex Brown. If you're not already, please be sure to hit that subscribe button, rate, review, share the show with you know your football friends, coaches, teammates, whatever. Uh, as mentioned last week, this is the third season of the pod and we are having a draft focus. So I'm really, really excited to have a former NFL GM join the show, which I'll introduce here shortly. So we hit record back on Monday, and thank God we did, uh, because it was really busy just in terms of the office, NCAA announcements that impacted our summer recruiting events, and a move for me and the wife. So everyone knows moving sucks, but you know I could start with negatives. Look, at, from a positive standpoint, the moving company we hired was great, minus the fact that one of the dudes you know ripped his hand open and went full Kobe Bryant mental toughness and kept moving boxes around, blood's, you know, getting on the floor, whatever. Um, the new apartment is awesome. But the crazy thing is the minute I'm having a struggle bus moment with the AT&T internet literally being a hundred times slower than our last apartment, my wife opens up our new coffee table that we just ordered and it's split right down the middle. So, you know, fun times over here. Uh, thankful to be at a nice new complex, but uh, that's why we're coming to you on a Saturday morning instead of a Friday. And, uh, you know, thank, thankful for some Uber Eats, some odd pizza. Uh, you know, hey, you got to make do with what you got. Back to business and our actual sponsor of the show. War Room is the all-in-one platform that will take your recruiting and your team management to a whole new level. So War Room, our, our true first sponsor of the show, does a phenomenal job of really organizing team management, scholarship allocation, recruiting boards, recruiting databases, whatever it is that your high school team, college team, professional team, whatever it may be, they have a solution for you. So if you want more information about the product, hit up Moose Bingham at 801-808-7754 or go to www.collegewarroom.com. For this week's guest, like I said, we're joined by a former GM, and that is current ESPN NFL front office insider and founder of the football think tank that goes by the name The 33rd Team, Mike Tannenbaum. Having somebody who's run an NFL organization and been an executive VP for football ops and a GM for both the Dolphins and the Jets, Mr. Tannenbaum brings really just an awesome approach and, and an insight that's just so unique to really all the people we've brought on this show so far. You know, we talked about kind of early inspirations for Mike, such as Red Auerbach, who used to be, you know, head coach and GM of the Boston Celtics back in the day. The evolution of team building from the standpoint of metrics, where those fit in, positional value, what positions are of more value now versus those that are being devalued, and even draft pick value assessments. Whereas, you know, he's making mention of how trades now should be viewed in terms of expected value for those draft picks. So even beyond just the team building, it was just a really insightful message from Mike on his approach, mindset, and thought process 
about a handful of transactions that he's experienced, the lessons he's learned along the way, even including stuff from the great Bill Parcells. So if you're a fan of obviously the NFL, but just football and team building in general, uh, you will not be disappointed with this episode. So sit back, grab a piece of paper, grab a pen, take some notes, and enjoy the show. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. Mr. Mike Tannenbaum, thank you so much for jumping on the show. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing phenomenal. Before we kick things off, you know, I want to just let you you know give a shout out to the 33rd team and what you're doing with them but I also kind of want to mention you know I was listening to you on a podcast with Bloomberg and I think it's really cool that you know you also taught a class at Columbia so talk to us about the 33rd team right before we get started and uh, what all you have learned while teaching so many people kind of the lessons you've gotten over the years yeah well I think what the key to life is you know to continue to learn and get better. And, uh, you know, for me, I got a great opportunity to work at ESPN and I knew I needed a lot of help just in terms of getting ready for the draft. I don't think you can, in a responsible way, cover the draft as one person. There's just too many people and, uh, you know, too many prospects. So I started for a program originally with the University of Massachusetts, uh, some really smart grad students. And what I quickly found out was, you know, there was a lot of people that, uh, <clears throat> were between opportunities, be it, you know, coaches or GMs. So we started to get together once a week and realized we had some really interesting content and we started putting that out. And I think, um, you know, there's been a whole bunch of people that like our content and it's really been a very fulfilling exercise because it's made me better and I've helped others get to where they want to go. What are some of the things that you've taken away from a, a metrics and analytics standpoint? Cause I know you, you've mentioned this a bunch yeah. of times on air that like, some of the students that have been in your class have taught you a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think like, for example, arm length with offensive linemen was overvalued and probably undervalued with, let's say receivers or like arm length was more important at linebacker and weight was more important for receivers. So those are some things where conventional wisdom was probably a little bit different. Um, and then we, we have a couple of recruiting coordinators at the college level that really help us talk about recruiting and looking at different body parts that help predict who's going to get bigger, how much weight they can put on. Because as you well know, Alex, you're recruiting 16, 17, 18 year olds, and you're trying to figure out how big they're going to be. And it's really interesting to see how you guys at the college level have to do that and predict how different people are going to turn out. So, there's been a lot of really fascinating conversations. When y'all were talking about kind of body typing, uh, selfishly, I have to ask this question. Was, was the focus more on like body width, uh, bone density, like stuff like that? Or, yep. Okay, yep. got yep. it. Yeah, and then, and then, you know, things like lean body mass. It, you know, some of it, there's like, some of it, there's a big overlap between college recruiting and, you know, let's say what we would do at the combine at the NFL level. And others, there isn't. Um, so it was just really interesting, but lean body mass is definitely, you know, another number that's critically important. Yeah. 
No, that, this is awesome stuff to kick it off. Um, I want to kind of take a step back real quick. I know we got you for for a good bit this morning. You know, you had a love for numbers and and baseball box scores, and not many people know that you you interned with the Pittsfield Mets before even getting in with the Saints. Was was it always numbers that that kind of drew you to sports? Uh, a little bit, but really more about the strategy. What really drew me to wanting to be a GM was right hour back. He was uh, a longtime coach GM of the Boston Celtics, and I grew up in the Boston area, and I always felt like he was like a half a step ahead of everybody. And um, that was really my main motivation to do what I'm doing. And math, uh, I found interesting, uh, but I also wound up getting a law degree. And um, those two things kind of helped me understand the salary cap. I think early on, Alex, that helped create like real values. And people ask all the time, well, how do you get in to sports? And it's, it's the same thing. Like your head coach, Mike Ingram, like started at the early stages, at the lowest levels. He created value. He worked hard and worked his way up. And, you know, I like to think I did the same thing. And, you know, talking about your, your law background, when you finished your, your law degree, you put a book together on how to build a team. You sent it to all 32 teams, you know, who to pay, who to let walk, kind of the, the, the tent poles for your, your salary cap mindset. I, I really wanted to ask, because you've mentioned this before in, in other interviews, kind of that book. Um, what, how did that book evolve through your experience in the league? And do you still update it year to year to this day? I don't think a day goes by that I don't put notes down about building a team. And, you know, what's ironic about what you're asking, Alex, and I appreciate it, is that's really the name of the organization, which is the 33rd team. There's 32 teams, and we really run our organization like the 33rd. So I look, I study, I tweak. I think, for example, and I don't necessarily agree with everything, but, you know, you could clearly see the devaluation of some first round picks between the Rams and the 49ers and their hope and belief is that if they have the right quarterback you know a first round pick which on average has between 55 and 60 percent sort of success rate um, is not worth what people perceive it to be and I think that's fascinating candidly I don't know if that's right or wrong but I, I, I know this we have the people in our organization to really help determine if that's true Right. And okay. So, you know, the first round picks get devalued to, to an extent, obviously positional values change. I had an interview years ago with, with the team and a big thing that the GM there was talking about was his Excel spreadsheet where every single position um, had an assigned value that correlated to from a salary cap standpoint, from a team building standpoint, um, where do you think the biggest shift has come? I mean, you can throw out the, the running back conversation because I know that's um, been overly discussed. But uh, where have you seen the biggest shifts uh, just from a positional value standpoint over the last, I don't know, five years? I think, you know, it, uh, five years is going to be left tackle, right tackle. I think now it's, you know, tackle, for example. And then, you know, a lot of teams are playing you know, three receivers or what we would call 11 personnel. And then therefore the third corner is definitely more valuable than the third linebacker because you really have five starting DBs, three corners, 
and two starting linebackers. So how teams are paying those players has certainly changed appropriately as well. And that's kind of like the, the what you did when y'all had Revis and Cromartie and you used a first-round pick on Kyle Wilson. Um, can you talk about, like, some of the best GMs just build on strengths and, and approaching from a position of strength versus approaching on a position of weakness in that, that top part of the draft? Yeah, I think that's really – that was more functionality of, like, having great organizational alignment. You know, when we hired Rex – we knew that it was going to be corner, corner, and corner. And we, we knew that we were going to play a lot of man-to-man, and we couldn't have enough of them. And the great part about that for me, and I always define a job as, hey, I'm the point guard of information, which is we, we had to go short someplace else. So that could have been safety, that could have been guard, that could have been linebacker. But if we're going to have Kyle Wilson, Cromarty, and Darrell Revis, we can't pay another position. So as long as we were on the same page with that, those were great decisions. And I, I know kind of the being on the same page, head coach, GM, that's, that's critically important. I, I feel like it, it gets overlooked at times when you just kind of try to put coaching in one box and, and being a GM in another box with personnel. Um, obviously the alignment is really, really important. When I read the book Parcells, and it talked about family business. That was something that really stuck out to me, you know, having been in, on the college side and experienced situations where you are really close to head coach versus experiences when you're kind of detached from it. And thankfully right now with, with Coach Bloomgren, it's been awesome. I and mean, we're always kind of kicking ideas back and forth, big picture, um, kind of zooming in on specific players. But can you break down what those family business meetings looked like between you and Coach Parcells y'all's relationship and what was the main objective when y'all, you know, 5.30 hits the clock and, and you two are, are meeting in one of your offices? Yeah, so, well, you're bringing me down uh, memory lane here, Alex. Uh, <laughs> I got to tell you, I don't think there was a better point in my career professionally, um, and I'll tell you why. There were certainly times I had more responsibility. There was times I got paid dramatically more money. There were times I had more spotlight and notoriety, but I could tell you there was never a time I was more fulfilled. And that, that, that was really the case for a number of reasons, you know, and I'm fortunate enough to be around him to this day. He is remarkably smart, insightful, um, knows human nature more better than any person I've ever met in any walk of life, could talk about racism, sexism, gendered racial diversity, homosexuality, very comfortable talking about those sort of topics that often a lot of people couldn't, uh, religious differences. And I learned so much about life and how to treat others and how to inspire others and how every person is your brother and to learn. And it was just, it was really fascinating how much he taught me so much more just about life and um, making decisions and being thorough. And, you know, every day we would just talk about team building and we would talk about the player or the agent or some, what we felt was a weird ruling from the league or the media. And he made every decision and it was my sort of opportunity to execute those decisions. And like I said, it was, I felt like 
I was smart, I was prepared, but boy, in terms of like seeing the world and understanding life, it was, you know, four years that I couldn't have dreamed of. Just soaking in as much as you can. Yeah, and he was raised in an environment in northern New Jersey where it was um, a very like mixed pool of people. Um, you know, he had an Irish Italian background, but grew up with a lot of African American friends and influences. Um, had Jewish friends, and you know, it was something he said that really shaped him. It was just fascinating to see him coach Carl Banks, coach Bill Sims, coach Lawrence Taylor, and everyone in between, and then call Leon Hess and have a great conversation with him. The the walk quietly and uh, carry a big stick, Leon Hess. Yeah, he was, but I, I, I saw, you know, Bill had his most vulnerable moments when he, he said to Leon, like, look, you know, this is a big decision. Here's what we're thinking. You know, what do you think? And Mr. Hess's response was, as long as you don't violate the U.S. Constitution, do what you think is right. That's why you're in charge. <laughs> and uh, one of those big moves, um, mid-January 1998, you and Coach Parcells are, are having one of these meetings, um, and Eugene Parker calls you about a one Curtis Martin boy wonder. You talk about this all the time, and I, I, I can hear how excited you and Coach Parcells get when y'all talk about Curtis Martin and just the type of person he was, but you've mentioned that coach Parcells called him a force multiplier. Can you break down what that means? Maybe put us back into, into your mindset during that time. Cause y'all had just talked through kind of prioritizing your needs heading into that off season. You know, Alex, we, we had just finished a meeting of uh, what we needed that year. And our eighth need was to get a running back. And um, it was interesting because we were, not set a quarterback, but had a good, not great running back, Adrian Morrell. And when Curtis's agent first called, uh, called up, the late great Eugene Parker, I said, thanks, but no thanks. We have no interest. We need a number of other things. So Coach Parcells quickly corrected me and said, you know what? If our best player is our best person and he makes everybody else around us better, his impact will be unquantifiable. And that's the whole idea of what a force multiplier is. Yeah. Do you feel like you came across any other guys that, that fit that mold? You know, I think that 98 team had Alex 20 to 30 of them because we weren't the most talented, but we had a lot of guys like, gosh, you know, like Keyshawn Johnson to his career really became that way. Really tough. We had guys like Pepper Johnson and we were just the Otis Smith, you know, Aaron Glenn, guys that were like tough and smart and cared deeply. And really our quarterback, Vinny Testaverde, really became that way. And what I mean by that is like Vinny was a guy that was cut in June, came in, worked his ass off, beat out Glenn Foley. And just think about that. You know, we put all this time and effort into the draft. And, you know, I'm a big part of that now. And we got our starting quarterback in June and go to the championship game that year. And a guy that, you know, revitalized his career at that point, because he was damn, I mean, he was, he, he, the, the book had quote unquote been written on him at that point. Yeah. And, and, you know, like the book was really written on the New York Jets and he helped turn it around. 
And and sticking, I, I really think it's cool when you mention all those names like Aaron Glenn's in DC with the Lions and you know Keyshawn's front and center with ESPN. Um, how many of, of those guys from those teams are either coaching or in media? But I, I want to go back to kind of with, with the draft in mind um, as we kind of wrap this up. Um, and again, appreciate your time. You know, going inside the mind of a GM, like I think a lot of times fans and even people involved in the business that just don't know the mechanics of that role, um, they see trades as very binary, right? Like, okay, there's three picks traded for two picks and a player, but they don't understand the implications from a salary standpoint, from a roster management standpoint. You had a situation with Keyshawn where he was holding out and you guys wound up getting two first rounders out of it and you compile four first round picks. I guess what are the mental gymnastics between looking at big contracts and also trying to maximize the the team value and, and putting the team really first in, in your priorities? Yeah, I think uh, those are slightly different questions in my opinion. So as it relates to um, like team value, like having first round picks when we had just changed head coaches to Al Grow, we want to get young, talented players that were actually Al Grow guys. So we really wanted to kind of flip the organization as quickly as possible. And we felt like loading up on those picks was a great way to do that, Alex. And then from a team value standpoint, again, you know, back then receivers were getting paid a much bigger piece of the pie. And some of them still are, to be candid. We felt like for us, we wanted to get pressure players in the front seven. And to do that, we had to draft them. And we drafted two guys, Sean Ellis, who turned out to be a really good defensive end for a long time, and John Abraham, who was a really, really good pass rusher. And we actually traded up from 16 to 12 and wound up with Sean Ellis and John Abraham. And then uh, finishing with Chad Pennington and Anthony Beckett didn't, didn't hurt either. Yeah, and actually our third-round pick was just as good as those four, which was Laverdius Coles, who – um, was unfairly uh, blamed for some things in college. He is an A++ person, and um, he turned out to be a great player for us as well. Yeah, when, when it comes to making decisions on guys with quote-unquote checkered pass and doing your homework on players, you, you mentioned Lavernius Coles. You've talked about Darrell Rivas as one of the, the guys that you felt like you guys got the process really right what what about the, the steps taken with like Lavernius Coles and Daryl Revis made those good process moments for you guys? Yeah, and I, I think you know Coach Bloomgren was a big part of help shaping those things. You know, just in terms of knowing who people are, because I really think Alex, like who you are in life is how you treat people that can't help you. And if you have the right process to understand how people are treating others that can't help them. That, that's really who they are. And that's a big, big part of life is finding out someone's true character. Yeah. Last question before I let you go. Everybody's talked about picks one, two, three, and four, and the quarterbacks that are in, in the class. We talked about it in the last episode. Um, had Dane Brugler on the show. Nobody's really talking about the Bengals pick. And you're on record as saying they should sprint to the podium if Panay Sewell is there. Can you, and from, from my perspective, I kind of look at it as, okay, we, we've talked about there's five 
quarterbacks um, capable of going in the first round. Maybe there's six, right? There's a lot of debate on that. But, um, you know, history tells us that Cincinnati will never trade out of a pick. But is there is there some uh, kind of insight you could give on maybe what's going on behind the scenes if you're the GM and trying to kind of gauge the interest of people wanting to trade up to get that quarterback, um, how you how you would maneuver that situation just as far as like the value of the pick and also the possibility of getting Penesul. Yeah, I think this, I think it's a little bit of uh, you know, sort of like bifurcating that discussion. Like, you know, before the draft, it always seems like there's a big premium and you know, we saw that recently in the San Francisco and Miami trade, for example, um, you know, clearly, you know, a lot of picks were given up to, you know, presumably for a quarterback. When you're on the clock, and I'll give you a good example. Let's just say that Carolina now with Sam Darnold doesn't need a quarterback, and let's figure out what they New England does. To go from 15 to 8, in my opinion, may take one first-round pick because that's a trade of convenience, whereas to do it beforehand is, you know, you're, you're paying just a much bigger premium. And I think if I'm Cincinnati and I'm, you know, this, this is an educated opinion here, but you know, some teams just don't have a big difference between Rashawn Slater, the tackle from Northwestern, and today Sewell, the tackle from Oregon. And assuming, for example, that's true for Cincinnati, and you can move back, let's say, to nine with Denver, where it's likely you're going to get one of those two tackles, and you can get, you know, a two or a two and a three. That w- would be something, if I was them, I would strongly consider. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, th- this was awesome stuff. I know we, we went rapid fire through a lot of things. I-, I wanted to avoid just asking you about your your opinion on on players because uh, for our listeners out there, just turn on ESPN when they're talking about the draft. Uh, Mr. Tannenbaum's always on there. So you can follow him at Real Tannenbaum on Instagram or Twitter. Any any last words before, before we dip out of here? Well, first of all, my, secondly, it was great being with you. And, you know, I would just say there's a lot of young people listening to this. Choose a job you love. You never work a day in your life. And the threat of all the people that I've seen that are great at what they do in any walk of life is they're really passionate to do it. And, you know, you're texting me over the weekend and last night. And I really appreciate that. And that candidly is what inspires me. So, you know, pursue what you love and things typically work out. Mike, I really appreciate it. We'll be in touch. All right. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. And that is it for episode 44 with Mike Tannenbaum. An awesome episode. Some of the things that stood out to me, just on the, the metric side, how arm length is, you know, intuitively you would think it's it's important for offensive linemen and it's kind of overvalued undervalued with linebackers and receivers lean body mass is something that he really really emphasized when it comes to growth potential and upside when you're looking at high school players and really over the last five years kind of talking about the value of not just a left tackle but you got to have a right tackle and the the really the prevalence of 11 personnel so that third cornerback that third receiver become premier positions for you the thing that I personally wanted to hit on, because I'm a huge Parcells fan, 
is family business. That's an awesome segment of this show where you know he talked about the one-on-one end of the day meetings that he had with Bill Parcells. You know, just to hear him talk about how fulfilled he was having that relationship with Bill Parcells, the back and forth dialogue that they had, and just the, everything that went behind those decisions. Awesome, awesome stuff for anybody who is interested in running an organization or running a team. Again, thank you so much for tuning into the show. Check back in with us next week for the draft week special. Going to have a former NFL head coach. So hit on a GM this week, hit on a head coach next week, and we'll have the draft and shoot less than a week now. So have a great week and see you next time.